Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, all about movies. And today, my guest is author-producer Chris Corman, and we're discussing his new book entitled, Oh My God, It's Harvey Corman's Son. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, it's a pleasure to finally um, see you in person. We have communicated uh, for a while, but I have not been able to see your face in a long uh, ever, so this is nice. Uh, we got so much to talk about. This book is really uh, what a wonderful tribute to your father, Harvey Corman, uh, and your your relationship with him along the way. Um, just tell us a little bit, uh, you know, our our listeners. This is a, a it's a it's a it's not just a story about a father son relationship, but it's also your journey through your difficulties. You you have a learning disability, and and that's addressed quite a bit throughout your book. So let's talk a little bit about. That that and how your father helped you overcome that and get through that. Well, um, I'm glad you asked that because most people want to fixate on the Carol Burnett or they want to fixate on blazing saddles and high anxiety. And, and the book really was supposed to be a celebration of the man behind the brand, the father, the husband, because I think that is more sustainable than just talking about his career, which is fine to talk about that. But yes. It's interesting that he, not realizing what he was doing, was the idea of the addressing of the speech impediment was, all right, find something that you love to do that addresses your speech impediment. He said, what is that? I said, theater, okay? Take the idea of theater. You have to learn about diction and about how to present yourself and articulate yourself within the world of theater. Okay, now take the learning disability aspect of it. You have to deal with compromise. You have to deal with people. You have to deal with the idea of re- retention of information, which is what a learning disability is. So if you have a hard time retaining information, how are you going to challenge that part of your brain? So I said, well, Dad, I like theater. I said, okay, there you go. So take the component of the theater aspect of it. If a director says to you, you have to be off the book in two weeks. You have to memorize 200 lines by two weeks. Take a chunk per day, retain that information, and then by the end of the week, see how far you got. So by the end of the week, I had 100 pages in my head. And then I had another 100 pages to do. So you say, if you like what you do, then the learning is not a chore. It's a, it's a training of your muscle memory. And he was doing this the whole time. And I'm thinking, maybe he's, he's in the wrong field. Maybe he should be the teacher and not an actor. But he said, if you're going to, if you have struggles in your life and use everything as a chore and everything as a struggle, apply it to something that you love. So before I knew it, I was applying those skills, Jan, and not realizing I was having fun at the same time as I was evolving and cultivating these skills. And I didn't realize until I got older, that's what he was preparing me for, is that when you're an actor or you're a radio host, you're not just a radio host. You are a brand. You are an entity. And you try to get me to understand it. When you're selling yourself as a speaker or as a fundraiser for a weight disability, you're presenting yourself as a brand. And he said, if you want to separate yourself from everybody else, his philosophy was very simple. Don't give the country what they want. Give them what they can't live without. And that was his life credo to me. And so that, is, that was an invaluable skill because my retention of information now is, to, I remember things I never thought I would remember, but because I trained my brain to retain things that matter to me, and I'm able to retain it more than just going to school and retaining stuff that you're not going to apply to your everyday life. So he was, he's a for, he was a forward thinker without realizing that's what he was being. He was a being an advocate, and he was being a celebrator of who I was. And But he wasn't 
lecturing me about it. He wasn't pounding into my head. He was letting me evolve at my own pace and my own time. So I thought, which I think is important, is to let a child mature in his own time and not trying to accelerate the maturation process because it might lessen the parent's guilt of having a child that's different. I wasn't going to be better or, or smarter or funnier because they wanted me to. I had to find that place in my world, in the world that I could call my own at my own time. And that's something that he instilled in me. How wonderful, though. Your father could have, you know, I mean, a lot of things. I mean, here he is, this very well-known actor, comedian, uh, you know, everybody who's ever seen anything, you know, any Carol Burnett shows, and now we can get them all on YouTube, and, you know, Blazing Saddles, and, you know, so many films. You know, he could have... Because of that, taking a different direction with you, you know, he could have been, I mean, I've heard the stories before, you know, a father could be very disappointed, you know, that he would want you to follow in his footsteps and be more like him and all of those things. And yet he just lovingly appreciated who you were and what your abilities were and how he could help you be better in the world and survive this world. It's it's a tough world. It's not an easy world and certainly difficult for somebody who does have a learning disability. And they knew fairly early on that you had a learning disability and and embraced that and tried to encourage you. So I think it's just, that's what's so beautiful about your book is, yes. (laughs) I appreciate you saying that. No, Um, very much so. It's, you know, it is that, um, again, it's this wonderful relationship that you two had. And go ahead, Chris, talk more about that. I love the nicknames you called each other, too, so you can <laughs> let our audience know those um, two names. He, um, he and Carol Burnett and my wife called me this as a term of endearment, and uh, they called me Chrissy, and every time I saw Carol, she'd say, come here, Chrissy, and it's like, and very few people call me Chrissy. That was a term of endearment, and so anytime I saw Carol, it was like, come here, Chrissy, and she'd give me a hug, or so anytime I saw Carol, there was a connection I had, so when people call me Chrissy, it's it's, a, it's not a defamation of, oh, God, you're still that little boy. It was in term of endearment. So to be around Carol or my father or Betty White or Ken Berry, I'm, my dad directed the first two seasons of Mama's Family. That was on NBC. And I got to be on the set and I got to be around Carol and Betty White and Ken Berry, people I adored. I knew it's strange, Jen. We think of show business as this very phony business because it's very cutthroat. It seems strange to me until I got much older and realized it. I got I gained a acceptance in that world because maybe I was hard with son. Speech impediment at all. I felt a acceptance, a, a loving embrace. They didn't treat me less than because my speech impediment or my language is They always treated me as an equal to because I could talk the language of the business. So that helped me get some credibility with them, and I understood their process as artists. And I could articulate that in a way that was meaningful. So I gained acceptance in that context. But like I said, the dearest people I know in my world are actors and performers because they either knew my father or they knew my stepfather, George, who was also an actor who's in the book. So there was a, a love and a respect. And um, But also my conduct behavior is reflective of my father. So I didn't have the luxury of going off and acting like the other stupid moron of a child. I had to reflect my father and my mother's standing. So I had to dress nice. I had to be with a speech impediment. Because I'll tell you one thing I learned really quickly. My dad was never going to let my LD as a cr- use it as a crutch. He was never going to let me use it as a bailout or a cop-out for failing. He 
he used to say, Chris, the only time you fail in life is when you don't try. Meaning, don't use my career as a cop-out not to try. Because then you make me the heavy. And I start feeling like I put that pressure on you. I said, that's the pro and con of being his son, though. I have to take the pros and the cons with it. Is that I'm in the public eye. I have been since I was five. But whether that's good or bad, John, I don't know. I can't tell you. But because of the golf tournament, because of being a spokesperson for a special ed program, speech impediment and all, you become the poster child for that cause. Long or right, that was my reality. So if I complain at times about being his son, it's because there are times... If people see him, they don't see me. But sometimes that's to my own detriment. That's my own fault because I extend myself to people and say, can I help you? Can I use my connections? I just expect people, and you have been so gracious and wonderful yourself, to say thank you. Instead of taking it for granted or assuming you have access to it, it's, hey, Chris, thank you for your help. Thank you for your help. That's all I could ever expect is just a thank you once in a while and not take it for granted because people don't realize I network on his name. I don't network on my name. My name. So I, I try to be as transparent as I can when I network for, on behalf of people. This is, I'm Harvey Korn's son and understand my name's not a magic elixir. I can't make people follow what I want them to do for my friend. All I can do is offer them the resources that I can. And if that person has a viable product like your wonderful show, you don't have to over embellish. You don't have to oversell somebody's brand. If that brand is there, I shouldn't have to overwork. I shouldn't have to overuse my name. And so there's a balancing act I have to do with his name and who I am as a person. And sometimes that line is blurred. And sometimes it's frustrating being his son because I assume everybody's transparent in their motivations in contacting me. That's not always the case. No, it's not. <laughs> so, but you have been wonderful, and we've been corresponding for some time. And I found your show because uh, on iHeartRadio, because I have friends who are on iHeartRadio. And I reached out to you because I loved your show, and I listened to some of the shows you were doing. And nobody else was doing what you're doing, and that, that's, that's the key for me. Is when, for any artist, a radio person, whatever, is you create a certain niche, and you hook into that. And I thought, God, Jan's doing something that no one else is doing. That's another reason why I reached out to you. I, always, I also thought you were wonderful and you were kind to me, which I really appreciated a lot. You're welcome, so, Chris. Um, Thank you. Yeah, as far as the show business part, um, that is really, I, this sounds model, it sounds Pollyanna, but half, half the joy in my life are the people I've got to engage that I would not have because of who my father was, that's the true blessing for me. It's not fame, wealth, or status, because those things are not sustainable. Right. It's the relationships I cultivated in my life because of the Carol Burnett or because of people who are in the business. And they give me the time on Facebook that I have no business talking to. And they give me the time of day. I'm always flattered and blessed. Like Joanna Gleason, coming to the woods, Tony winner, and I, I introduced myself to her on Facebook. I had no business talking to this woman. Only in the sense that she was this big star. She didn't need my help for press. I saw she was doing some performances. I just thought, I'm Chris Farman, blah, blah, blah. I know you're friends with Bernadette Peters. I'm Chris Farman, I'm Harvey Farman's son. And I and, and also don't know that Joanna Gleason's father was Monty Hall. And I, and I, I knew Joanna because she was on a show called Hello, Larry. McLean Stevenson, who was my who was best friends of my father. Right. So I had that connection. So I just said, hey, Joanna, I had some of these, so many press opportunities, media ideas, considerations. Can I 
how the book the shows that you're doing at Feinstein's 54. And she said, oh my Christ, you're so sweet to offer. I don't know that it's right or wrong to do that. I must be dumb. I just think at least it's better to offer it and ask, hey, can I help you? Right. Because it's my way of extending myself to those people that I adore and I admire personally and professionally. So I'm always bewildered and surprised when people contact me anytime you want, Chris. I'm like, really? Wow. Okay. And so I'll say, uh, Miss Lisa, it was nice talking to you. So she's like, Chris, what did they tell you? I said, what? Call me Joanne. I'm like, okay. Are you doing <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it, it just, it's somehow, some way, again, almost mind-blowing that I have access to these people. Right. But more importantly, it's who they are as people matters more to me than who, it's who they are, more important than what they do. Because at the end of the day, you care about the person, you don't care about the brand. If you really can invest in that time with that person. So that's something also I learned about just being transparent and, 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 and being myself and being genuine with people. And I hope they reciprocate. And if they don't, I can't help that. I can just control my behavior and my conduct. Um, I also have a very strange philosophy. I tell people, and it sounds weird to say this, Jim, but I tell people, what good is the son of a cross-dressing Jew from Chicago if he can't help his friends? <laughs> I love that. Because that your father referred to himself that way yeah. very, very often, it sounds like. Chris, um, what, I mean, you've got, you know, Carol Burnett has uh, written the foreword in, in, in the book, and so has yes. Peter Marshall. And you were blessed, you know, with your childhood to have access. You're right. You've met so many famous people throughout the years. And yet it was f- interesting that your dad um, felt shy around meeting other famous people. Oh, that he God, didn't, he did not feel that, um, he should go talk. You know, the, the Burt Lancaster story. Let's talk about that. You know, he, he was like so oh shy God. when he was around famous people and Michelle Pfeiffer. Let, you know, those are two wonderful stories. Let, share that, share the story about Burt Lancaster and then, you know, follow up with, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, uh, because it says a lot about who your father was, you know, um, really does, you know, that he didn't like to be recognized in, in, in public. So let's talk about both of those stories. He was almost, he was, he was apologetic to the point of nauseam because <laughs> it was like, here's somebody who was some, here was somebody who was in somebody's home for 10 years in television. And TV is such a more of an immediate medium. It's so more personal than a movie actor. So I'm facing the buffet area. Birds walking towards us. Now I'm trying to talk with food in my mouth, which is also undignifying. <laughs> right. So I have two things going against me. So I'm now talking between my teeth. Dad, Bert Lancaster is coming your way. And like a bad Abbott Costello routine, he said, what? Bert Lancaster is walking our way. Before I could get it out, Bert tilts his head over. Is this Harvey? My dad tilts his head, and I, my dad still has food in his mouth, so I know this is not building well for either one of us. He looks up, Bert? Harvey? I'm like, oh, God, maybe, this, maybe my dad finished chewing his food before he talks anymore. <laughs> and I'm chewing my food quickly. He said, 
Oh, hi. Um, Bert, this is my son, Chris. Now, I'm dumbfounded because I can't believe it's Bert Lancaster. I said, hi, Mr. Lancaster. It's on your name. Please call me Bert. Okay, now I'm gone. And now my father's gone, too, because he can't believe Bert Lancaster's talking to him. So my dad moves into the booth. Now that we're, now we're all sitting there staring at each other, eating and not talking. Now, I, like, who's going to say the first word without food coming out of their mouth? That's the challenge. For 20 seconds, they're looking at each other. I'm looking at them both. And I said, well, someone say something. The silence is killing me here. Right. Bert says, Harvey, I, my wife and I have been watching you for years. That, my dad was done after that. Mm-hmm. He couldn't talk. He was like Daffy Duck. He, 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 he couldn't grasp that Bert Lancaster knew who he was. He's like, you're a movie star. I'm this guy on this variety show. I'm this schmo from Chicago on this variety show. And you're Bert Lancaster. I have no business talking to you. This whole picking order of this business is amazing, Jim. Mm-hmm. It's movies. It's theater, movies, television, and then everybody else. And that's the pecking order of legitimate acting to actors it is. So I couldn't grasp his brain to just be, I mean, he just couldn't talk. It was like, and Bert saying, he's keeping praise of my father. And I was sitting there going, you know who my father is? He said, Chris, I've, we've been watching your father for years. My dad gets on, my dad gets on saying, you're Bert Lancaster. You have more important things to do than watch a show like me. And Bert said, Harvey, I could never do what you do. Mm. And that's the fallacy in this business, Jan. We assume every actor can do yeah. what everybody else can do. Most actors don't do sketch comedy for that reason. A, it's live, in a way, it's live to tape. You do use cue cards in the Burnett show. But we assume every actor can do every other discipline of acting. That's not true. But my dad was classically trained at Goodman Theater. He studied with Uta Hagen. He studied at HB Studios. And I used to say to my dad, I said, you have so much classical training, you have an existential crisis just saying good morning. <laughs> uh, and he said, that's true. But he was trained at Goodman to approach all roles, farce or satire, as an actor, not as a comedian doing acting. He was always a play the truth, whether it's satire or farce. So... He talked about that things like me. So when now the Michelle Pfeiffer thing is a little vague, but I can say this: we're out sitting out on a patio in Santa Monica at this coffee place. He saw Michelle going in to the coffee place. I'm sitting there on the patio with one of my dad's friends. He says to me, "Go into the coffee place and say really loudly." Four-time Emmy winner and Golden Globe winner wants a latte and a maple spoon. I said, how about you do it instead of pimping me out? I said, I'm going to the bathroom. I'll come back. If, if you're still here, great. If you're not, I'm, I'm, I'm walking into the table because I don't want to be any part of this. So I come back, and he's like, he's standing in the line now. I know he knows he sees Michelle standing there. And I'm sitting there going, this is not going to go well for anybody in this room. He says, <laughs> he says really loudly to the person behind the counter, Harvey Corman would like Emmy winner, Harvey Corman, Golden Globe winner would like a latte. I'm like, oh my God. Jesus. For someone who oh, didn't like to. Michelle, I didn't see you standing there. <laughs> for someone who doesn't like to draw attention to himself, he certainly did in that instance. <laughs> 
A- was, anything from Michelle Pfeiffer, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> now, mind you, her husband, David E. Kelly, right. had been producing Boston Legal. Right. He thought that pimping me out to Michelle Pfeiffer would get him on Boston Legal. <laughs> I said, you try kissing your own, you know what, I'm not doing it you. are not pimping me out. You pimp out the kid with the speech impediment. What does that say about you? I said, where's your agent in all this? Now, if I get you on Boston Legal, I want 10% of your take. Right. If you put me out here, I want to cut. Right. <laughs> so, okay, I get it. Great story. Great story. Both of them are wonderful stories. Uh, Chris, what for you, and, and your book has a lot in it, and, and I just want to tell everyone, if you're looking for a Christmas gift for uh, your loved ones, who anyone who love Harvey Korman, or if you're just becoming familiar with him, if you were too young to ever have watched him, um, this is a wonderful book uh, with great memories about your dad. But what do you think the greatest, and you've kind of alluded, but what do you think the greatest lesson uh, your father ever gave you? What did he, what for you is his legacy for you personally? Well, if I could, if I could frame it, uh, in 1982, he went on The Tonight Show and he told Johnny, Johnny asked him what you were doing. He said, well, I'm going to do a film and I'm going to Chicago to speak at the National Organization of Special Ed Teachers. I'm in the green room. I didn't know this. I didn't know where my dad was half the time anyway. So, we're in the green room, and he says, "John, I'm going to Chicago to speak at the national at the conference of national the National Organization of Special Ed Teachers, which eventually morphed into the Learning Disabilities Association of America, which is based in Pittsburgh." I didn't know this. So, what's really weird, Jan, is I'm in Baltimore, which is where my wife and my son is from. I spoke at the national conference in 2017 in Baltimore. So I'm standing there, and the national director of the LDA walks up to me and says, "It's so our." It's such an honor to have you here. I said, I'll thank you. I'm honored to be a part of this. No, she said, you understand. Your father put us on the map. Mm. How wonderful. What do you mean? I said, he was our natural spokesperson for the first five years. I didn't know that. He never talked about it. My dad just did what he he thought was right by his child. He didn't say, hey, look at me. He didn't ask for press on it. I said, so you're saying my father was your spokesperson. And now I'm following him. Right. And I swear to God, Jan, I don't know what possessed me to say this in front of 300 people at registration. I blurted out, you know, it's just my luck. I have to follow a cross-dresser. <laughs> Everybody just stopped. They didn't know if I was joking. Finally, someone said, I don't get it. And the, the director said, Mother Marcus, the Carol Burnett show? <laughs> oh, okay. And everybody chimed in with the laughter. But she said, no, your really, father really did. And he humanized the idea that a parent was a parent first. He, he was a right. parent first and a celebrity second. Right. And that gave us such credibility. And that, you know, you know with the golf tournament, that we need to come and speak Chris, and share. I would love to talk you, to you some more, but we have run out of time. So where can okay. people find, oh, my God, it's Harvey Corman's son. Oh. <laughs> where well, can people find him? Thank you for having son. me on your show. Oh, too. you're welcome. He, he was the greatest father in the world. And even if he wasn't my father, I still would have loved him. And he yeah. still would have been my favorite performer. Great, I agree. Um, but I agree. Amazon.com. Amazon.com. Okay. Now, I'll have to pronounce this because I screwed up every time. Bear Manor. B E A. R, Manor, M-A-N-O-U-R, Press. 
Okay, great. Every, cover or cover? Uh, everybody seek out, find on Amazon.com. Oh my God, it's Harvey Korman's son. Chris, thank you so much. What an honor You're to have you me. on my show. And, my and I, it's also an honor to call you my friend. So thank you I'll so call much. You my dear friend too, thank you. Happy You're holidays. Welcome. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. To all my wonderful, loyal listeners, your love of film allows me to do what I do. If you want to support me, the best way to do that is to hit the subscribe button on the iHeart Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And of course, on YouTube. Subscribing matters. If you are feeling really compelled, I want to hear from you. Have a burning question, comment, or review? Drop me an email at thejampriceshow.com. Thank you for listening. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies.